speak to each individual as, as they need to be spoken to. We thank you, Father, for your word and that your word gives life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the week, I went to a, um, a breakfast for Hopelink, which I'm not sure if you know, it's a community group attached to Shed 19. <clears throat> and it was a sort of an information uh, sponsor type breakfast. And uh, the, the speaker they had was, that, that was speaking on uh, basically integrity in business. And he uh, shared a, a story of a community group who was looking at an industrial building to, to set up and use. And they uh, went to the building and met with the owner of the building. And uh, they sort of, you know, went through it and thought, yeah, this is going to be good. And uh, they agreed on a price. And the owner said, yep, okay, it's yours. Um, they went to the car to get a deposit. All they could find was a dollar in the ashtray. And he said, that's fine. And he sealed it with a handshake. Sometime later, the owner was given a far better offer than what this group was going to pay. And in today's society, I'm sure he could have quite easily gone, I'll have that one. But he said, I've given my word. No, this other group are buying the building. What a great example of integrity and business in a world that has endless contracts and conditions and whatevers and even when you get a contract as long as a toilet roll, you get a lawyer, it means nothing. And yet this man stood on his word. He'd given his word. He was true to his word and what he said was true and the buyer believed it and acted upon it. My message this morning is God's word. Read, believe and act. Oh, I need the thingy. Sorry, Petra. <laughs> we'll see if it works. <laughs> Thank you. Read God's word. Read, believe and act. On, in Thursday's uh, daily bread reading was the following. Recently I came across an article describing what constitutes great literature. The author suggested that great literature changes you. When you are done reading, you are a different person. In that light, the word of God will always be classified as great literature. Reading the Bible challenges us to be better. Stories of biblical heroes inspire us to be courageous and persevering. The wisdom and prophetic books warn of the danger of living by our fallen instincts. God spoke through various writers to pen life-changing psalms for our benefit. The teachings of Jesus shape our character, become more like him. The writings of Paul orient our minds and lives to holy living. As the Holy Spirit brings these scriptures to our minds, they become powerful agents for change in our lives. When you are done reading, you are a different person. This morning I want to look at the importance of, as Christians, to read God's word, to believe God's word, what it's saying, and then to act 
upon God's word. Because you take out one of those and it really doesn't work in our lives. That we would also be different people from reading God's word. I'm going to start by looking at Martha in Luke 10. Quite a well-known passage of scripture. And now it happened in Luke 10 verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she was a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Do you remember that show, Marsha, Marsha? I remember it was done in that tone. Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now we all know that uh, obviously Martha got a bit of a rap over the knuckles for doing and not just sitting around listening to Jesus. But it says there, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet, which gives an implication that at times Martha did sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teachings. So there we have the well-known Martha who gets told off for wanting to serve and not liking her sister doing nothing. If we go over to John chapter 11, starting at verse 17, this is where Martha's brother Lazarus is is quite ill and... uh, They sent a message to Jesus to come and pray for him because they know if Jesus comes and prays, he will be healed and that will be great. Jesus chooses not to. Lazarus dies and then he comes and it's about four days later he turns up and uh, I'll start at verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a good, I think that's a good expression of faith. She had faith in Jesus that, you know, if he had come, he wouldn't, she, his, her brother would have been healed. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I think that's another quite a good statement of faith that uh, I believe that you know, God can use you. She has faith in Christ. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She's heard the word of God, she's heard Jesus' word and she believes. If we go over to chapter 12, there's a, uh, Jesus comes to, a, comes to Bethany again and, uh, uh, and uh, they were having a meal in a house and verse 2 says, they had, There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. 
Mary took a pound of costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. And I think most of us know what the story goes on there. I think it's interesting that it says, and they had made him suffer and Martha served. It wasn't even her own home. If you look at the other, um, in the other Gospels, it's uh, Simon the leper's place, so she's not even in her own home. <coughs> but there's Martha serving. Is she complaining? Doesn't seem to be. There was a lot made of it in the other, in, in the other, other uh, cha- verses, wasn't it, that she'd been complaining? I'd like to put to us this morning that she's changed because of Jesus' words. She was a different person. She was, happy to, she was happy to serve because she wanted to serve Jesus Christ. Martha believed Jesus' word and acted upon it. She was a different person. In John chapter 4, It says the heading is a nobleman's son healed. Starting at 46, John chapter 4. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Don't you wish that writing could be done in tones so you could sort of get what, you know, is, is Jesus going, oh, fair dinkum, you lot. All you want is a sign. Or, oh, dear, you know, more compassionate type. But we just don't get it, do we? We, we don't know what, maybe if in the original it might imply something. But anyway, the noble said to him, sir, come down. Before my child dies, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed that the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And now as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired to them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same time hour in which Jesus said to him your son lives and he believe, he himself believed and his whole household we see another person heard Jesus' words believed and acted upon it and not only did he become a different person but his whole household was changed because of believing and acting upon Jesus' words. Now in John chapter 5, Jesus is having a discussion with the Jews. They are slightly upset because he did a horrible thing. He healed someone on the Sabbath, which was a no-no because it was considered work. So you weren't supposed to do work on the Sabbath. Not only that, he was claiming that he was equal with God, which was far worse than even doing good to someone on the Sabbath. 
So the Jews weren't real happy. And Jesus replies to them in John 5, we'll start at 39, and he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honour from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will you, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honour from another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We've had a bit of a change of direction or a bit of a change of tack here where Jesus has gone from the spoken word to the written word. And he's saying to these Jews, you're looking in the scriptures, but you're not fine. If, if you were looking properly, you would know that they were talking about me. They're directing you to me. But you won't have a bar of that. They're not going to believe the written word of Moses. The result? They didn't become different. They didn't change. They stayed the same. They didn't change either from the written or the spoken word of God. Now Jesus is talking to the Jews here about the five books of what we call the Old Testament or the law of Moses or the Torah. Psalm 119. What a great psalm. 176 verses, 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And it's all about how wonderful God's word is. The whole 176 verses. How it changes your life. How it, it brings you into relationship. It draws you to God. What a wonderful psalm, 119. Psalm 119.97 Oh how I love your law it is my meditation all day. Sometimes I think we get a bit stuck on that word law. Because as soon as we hear law we think of you know, police, lawyers, courts where if you've ever dealt with any of those you know that it's pretty well black and white. There's no, you know, grace doesn't flow very often in the law courts or the I was talking to a guy just recently who had a bit of trouble with the law and he just said There's, it's, it's just no grace at all. If uh, you've innocently made a mistake, they don't care. They look what the law says and says, bang, you take the penalty. But so we think of uh, the word law, we think of obligations and regulations. So the psalmist's exclamation of love for God's law probably sounds a little bit odd to us. However, don't you like howevers? The Hebrew word translated law is Torah and literally means direction or instruction. At this point in Israel's history, Torah had become the designation for the books of Moses. In the Hebrew context, it included more than just the religious and civil regulations it also included the stories, songs, poems and laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. 
Yahweh had spoken and his instructions and directions, whether through law, story or song, always led to wisdom. But the Jews of Jesus' day had twisted the law so much so that they considered themselves to be righteous and if they fulfilled the 613 laws that they had, you would be right with God. Fancy trying to do that. Anyone here reckon they could do that day in, day out? 613 laws they have. So if they did that, and of course some of them I think thought they did. And yet they condemned Jesus as a lawbreaker. The law of Moses was not meant to save men, but to show them their need to be saved and thus lead them to Christ. And they'd missed it. It's exactly what he was talking about in John 5 where he says you study the scriptures diligently. Perhaps you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Amen. Psalm 119. I'm not going to read it all. You might want to go to lunch at some time in the morning. Psalm 119. But I recommend you read it all. I do have it in my Bible somewhere. Psalm 119, 97 to 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for you are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself had taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I reckon we could live on those. Just look at that. Meditating on God's law day and night. He's given more understanding than his teachers. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your law. The law, the word of God, keeps us from falling into sin. What a wonderful piece of scripture. Read a lot of it. I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of it. Not just Psalm 119. Read a lot of it. So the law... So it's about the laws of Moses brings instruction and direction for life. The words of Jesus brings instruction and direction for life. And all the other writers of the Old and New Testaments brings us instruction and direction for life. Not a set of laws of do's and don'ts, and if you don't do the do's and you do the don'ts, I'll hit you with a big stick. We laugh, but I know people that are like that. They think when they've done wrong, God's going to hit them with a big stick. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, it says in John 10.10. 10. Do we want an abundant life? Does that mean we won't have any troubles? 
No. Entirely different. About six weeks or so ago, I was, uh, had the privilege of taking the YPs. And the opening sort of uh, question for the, for the lesson was, do you know someone who is leading life well? And what makes him stand out to you? And I was a bit shocked by the reply and how quick it came because they said, you. Obviously, they don't know me real well, no. <laughs> well, that's one thing that sort of set me aback because I don't know these young people real well as much as I know, you know more of the older people around the place. So it was, I guess, a bit of a compliment. But it left me a bit, oh, one thing I did realise that all you people here, those young people are watching you. Let that sink in for a second. They're watching how you react, what you do. And they were quite serious and genuine in saying that to them, I was a person who was you know, doing life well. And... Uh, And one of them said, well, are you? <laughs> I guess they wanted to make sure they had the right person. <laughs> so I, I said, um, and I thought, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I am doing life well. So what do you think I'm doing life well for? That's a question to you guys. You're allowed to answer. Apart from being married to Sandy, which is the obvious. <laughs> Anyone got any ideas why I'm doing life well? Yeah, I do, I do read this occasionally. Faithful. Yeah, that's, a good, that's the only reason I'm here, Kate. <laughs> I don't have any other attributes. <laughs> oh, where did you read that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'll give you points for being clever. Well, the answer the young people gave was because you're a pastor, so you're closer to God. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, but no, I did have to put them straight. And I said, no, no, just because I'm a pastor it doesn't make me any closer to God. I said, are you... You young people here, if you believe Jesus is your saviour, you're just as close to God as what I am. And uh, see, um, I guess um, you know, years ago, if this was the, uh, the, the temple or the tab tabernacle back in uh, you know, the BC times, it would be a bit different. I would be closer to God. Not as close as James because he's the high priest. So none of you would be in here. You'd all be out in the driveway. I'd be allowed to wander around in here, but I wouldn't be able to go through that door. I would be able to stand near it with a rope that's tied around James's leg so that once a year, when he went to meet with God, if the bell stopped ringing, I'd drag him out because he's died in the presence of God. So in, then, yes, well, James would have been closer to God because he actually meets with God, I would be closer than you guys because I meet with James and uh, you know, we keep God at a distance so that helps you guys. But not these days since what Jesus has done. But as I was just looking, thinking about the message 
the thought came to me that, well, yes, in a sense, I am closer to God than what those 12 and 13-year-olds are. I mean, in the, in the spiritual sense, yes, we're born again. Uh, we all have God's spirit within us in that sense. But in another sense, I'm nearly 60, and this is what I told these young people. They're 12 or 13. I've been around a bit longer. For 33 years, I've been in church nearly every Sunday, and a lot of those Sundays twice a day. I've been to Bible studies, um, all the things we do, you know, prayer meetings. I've been worshipping. I've been reading God's word. I've been believing it and acting upon it at least, well, to the best of my ability. So in that sense, perhaps I am closer to God than what these young people are. But if you understand what I'm getting at this morning, it's because I know more about this and I've been applying this to my life for you know, 40, 30-something, do the maths, years than what the young people in YPs have. And like me, there's people here, as I look around, are we perfect Christians that have got it together? I can, well, I won't, I won't pick anyone out, Steve-o, but no, we're not. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to shatter you. <laughs> Are we sailing through life without any problems? Put your hand up. You won't be able to put your hand up because you're dead if you're sailing through life without problems or you're in complete denial. Who's ever felt that God's gone on a holiday? Yeah? Not many, obviously. There's some real good saints here today. At least they're in there. Well, you and me, we're sticking together. Isn't it funny? I always find it funny that when things are going good, God's there. When, he, when things aren't going good, he's not there. You need to read a bit more of that because I find that telling us he's far more often, well, not that he doesn't leave us, but it's when we're going through the hard times that he is there. Don't worry about whether you have the warm fuzzies going down the back of your neck or the gold dust is falling on your head. God is there in the hard times. Who's been broke when everyone's preaching prosperity? <laughs> the good old prosperity doctrine. It's not around as much as it used to be. Unfortunately, the principles are right, but the outpouring of it was a bit, you know. And, uh, you know, you go, on, you know, oh, yes, I gave $10 and... Uh, you know, a bloke from down the road came and gave me a new Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, you can do that too. And you give $10 out everywhere and your car breaks down and you can't pay for it. You know, <laughs> prosperity doctrine. We had a preacher from India one time and he said, if prosperity doctrine works, bring it to India. There's a lot of people who'd like it. The principles are right. Just be careful on the, how you outwork it. But who's, always, who's also seen the amazing provision of God in a time of need? Live a life following God's instructions and directions so that when the accusations come against you, people will go, no, nah, I don't think so. That doesn't sound like Elwin. If Elwin did that, that's really out of character. 
That's what we're getting out of this if we live a life like that. You know, you will get accusations, rumours. Poor old Owen, things I've heard about him, my goodness. I'll have to check with Sandy if it really is. <laughs> See, Peter had it worked out. Have I got it there? Yeah, 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your con- conduct among the Gentiles honourable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He also says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So if we're following this, it doesn't matter what gets said about us. Doing life well doesn't mean you don't have problems. Doing life well is reading God's word and acting upon it and applying its instructions and directions to your life for the glory of God's name. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. This is basically the summary of what we call the Sermon on the Mount which is sort of put up there as the the greatest and the best teaching that Jesus taught the disciples when he spoke on the Sermon on the the Mount. And when you, from uh, chapters 5, 6 and 7 is that, uh, that sermon he gives and you know, it's nearly all about character and about how we will we live how we should live our lives and jesus says in verse 24 therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them i will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. If we go over to Matthew 25... I've got that up there, Matthew 25, 30, starting at 31, and it's about my uh, heading here, the Son of Man will judge the nations. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from whom the foundation, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger that, and take you in or naked and clothe you? 
Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of these the least of these you did not do it to me. And these will, be go, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's fairly clear and straightforward, isn't it? I don't think we need to go too far into the Greek and Hebrew that most of us don't understand anyway. Again, talking a lot about how I guess acting upon God's word, what we do, who we're looking at, how we're helping others. Back to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who sees, says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's not good for the Pentecostals, is it? Have a think about it. Jesus is talking in the other section about who's coming into the kingdom of heaven those who help the sick, those who help the homeless, those who uh, visited those in prison. or And here he's saying those who prophesied and, and did all sorts of wonderful, cast out demons and done wonders, you don't have a place. Whoa. That's a bit scary. Jesus didn't say... You came and healed me. Or when you healed one of those, he said, he said, when you visited one of those that was sick. He didn't say you set the captive free. He said you went and visited those in prison. Am I saying we shouldn't be praying for miracles like we did this morning? Of course not. But let's get character and the power of God together. I think that's pretty powerful from the word of God there that what God is more interested in. I think it's more relationships. Do I not like casting out demons and healing for the getting seeing people sick? Of course I do. <laughs> you know, we have we pray for it all the time. And I think it's just awesome when we have the whole thing working together but let's not lean one side to the other. That would be a scary thought, isn't it? You're standing before God. 
laying out all the things you did. And he said, hmm, what about the people that were sick and couldn't get out? Oh, well, I cast out a demon. So, sobering thought. Martha was a different person after hearing Jesus' words. The nobleman from, from Capernaum was different after hearing Jesus' words. God's word is in front of us that we too may become different people by reading, believing and acting upon it. The Bible is one of, if not the greatest pieces of literature of all time. I don't know whether they still do, but universities, this used to be studied in all universities along with other, other great books. I've known people who, non-Christians, who have read it back to front and dissected it and gone through it and still amazes me how they missed the point, but anyway. But it is in university courses. It's, you know, even the, the, the heathens will recognise it as a great piece of literature. But it's life-giving literature. Great literature changes you. When you are done reading, you are a different person. Do we have the music team back up, please? Now ask yourselves this morning... I guess one, am I reading it? You know, some people in Christianity are like Jesus, the same yesterday, today and forever. They don't change. It's all right for Jesus not to change, but it's not good for us not to change. Are we reading it? If we're reading it, are we believing what it says? And if we're believing what it says... Are we acting upon it? Doing God's word. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And like many, even in the world, we acknowledge that it's a, a great piece of literature. But Father, I help, ask that you would help us through your Holy Spirit for us to understand that it's more than a, a great read, a great piece of literature, that it brings life. Father, may we not be like the Jews who read it and read it and read it, and miss what it's showing them. We thank you, Father, that as we read it through your Holy Spirit, you can change us, that we will become different people for the glory of your name. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, team.